check on levels and everything. It's recording, so we're all good to go? Yeah. Great. What's up, everybody? I'm Chef Marcus Samson, here with my co-host, Jason Diakite. And a warm welcome to this moment, the transatlantic bridge connecting Sweden to the United States. But actually, to be honest, we want to connect with the world. We want to learn and listen and share BIPOC stories from the world because they're so complex, it's so rich, and we can only be better for it. And this week, we're going to head to a country that has so many things in common with Sweden. Nature, people, but also hockey. You guessed it right. It's Canada. And in Canada, our dear friend Roger Mooking, chef extraordinaire, but also rapper, will tell us how he's navigating through COVID, how he's staying creative, both in the music scene, but also in the food and television space. Roger has been a huge advocate for mental health. He actually teamed up with Toronto History Museum to launch a series of projects called Awakenings, where he and other people from the BIPOC community speak out against anti-oppression, anti-colonialism, and anti-racism in Canada. It's an amazing listen where we learn a lot about the intersection between food, art, culture, and music, the way only Roger can explain it. By the way, has anyone ever heard about Africville? I thought so. Now, if you want to learn some interesting stories about BIPOC community in Canada, check it out on This Moment, Roger Mookin. Book, 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 book. This is a big deal for me, right? Because Roger, there's only... When I started working in Canada, I only knew one guy. And it was this man. It was Roger. And he happened to be black. And I promise you, it's just just true that it's only black people in Canada. <laughs> so since I only know two Canadians. I know Kevin, and he's a goalie, and he's black. And I know Roger. So now we have to bring Roger into the show to confirm what's up in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, Canada, like during the 70s, our prime minister opened up the borders. He really embraced globalism and, and opened up the borders and people flooded in from all over the world, man, from from China, from Africa, all parts, from Europe, um, from the Caribbean. A lot of people came from the Caribbean, um, mm-hmm. Korea, Japan, you know, like everybody just came flooding in. And Canada just embraced um, immigration and, and globalism in that way. Um, and that's what really makes us rich here, you know. But Chef, let me ask you, you know, you were born in Trinidad and you and your parents, I take it, I don't know if any siblings were with you, moved to Edmonton. You know, I'm sitting in Stockholm right now and it's like the polar vortex is going on. So I think I can really relate with that, you know, must have felt like. Tell us a bit about how that was, like both for your parents, but also also for yourself. But as a young kid, I came here when I was five, right? So I got to put on a snowsuit, jump in the snow, play, make make a fort, go sledding. It's just it's an incredible experience as a little kid for me. And you know, little kids, you know, we used to move around a lot when when I was young in Trinidad. My dad's job, we used to move like every three four months around Trinidad and Tobago, right? So we were always nomadic, and um, this was like the ultimate nomadic adventure. And here we were going on this super adventure, and 
I was super hyped about it. My brother and sister may may not have been as enthusiastic about it, but you know, young kids are really, really adaptable, man. Their brains are still formulating, and and we just we we enter our environments and we just kind of find a way to try and flourish. You know, I I would also I just want to say that even you know as a young kid, one of the first things I knew about Canada was Edmonton because hockey was a big deal yeah. in Sweden, and the Edmonton Oilers. And Wayne Gretzky. I mean, it was a big deal in Sweden. In everywhere. I mean, I uh, yeah, think, I guess everywhere. I think everywhere with ice. We share a lot, <laughs> Sweden and Canada. I think you know. Mm. I love mm. you know, as you know, Roger. You know, I spend a lot of time in Montreal, and yeah. my cousins are actually Canadian. They're from Montreal, and yeah. there, when you land in Canada, it feels very similar to Sweden, right? Not only hockey, but the love of nature. Um, but you know, in terms of diversity, if you if you go to the southern part of Canada where the majority of people live, Vancouver is majority Asian population, right? And then Toronto, you have that Caribbean mix. And then when you come out east, you have more of sort of Lebanese, Moroccan when you come to Montreal. Talk to us about diversity in Toronto and how it was coming up. You know, who was your friends? What did the school look like? Well, I didn't come up in Toronto, right? I really came up in Edmonton from five till 18 years old. I was in Edmonton. So that that Toronto experience was a new thing for me when I moved here for the music industry, right? I grew up, man, it was like me, my brother, my sister, and maybe one other person with only black people in school. All, all Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the club. It sounds like Sweden. It sounds like Sweden, brother. Yeah, always, yep. you know. So, you know, that comes with its challenges as well. And um, But, you know, you learn as, as kids. You learn to adapt. I was just telling this to my aunt the other day. She's like, what was that like? Because they were in Toronto. And I was like, you know, I think about it now. And I think it really helped me to understand how to adapt. How to how to be compassionate and understand people because you know there's some people who are cool, some people who are trying to chase you home from school and beat you up, some people and you fi- you figure out survival instincts real quick and social dynamics really really quickly from a very young age and how to position yourself um, to try and flourish but also just just to survive right. So the Toronto experience though is is a unique thing. I realize the more I travel around the world how amazing Toronto is on a global platform for its ability to really to really be like, it's like the Brooklyn, it's like mini Brooklyn, I always say, you know, you get everything there, everybody there, everybody's kicking around there. And you walk down the street, you stand at a bus stop and you hear every kind of language happening at that bus stop or walking down and the, the world, street. And and the world just, is seeing that now through hip hop, through yeah, being man. an NBA. I mean, eating in Scarberry, Jason, it's like eating in Queens. You know, you have Filipino 100%. food on top of Chinese, on top of Jamaican, and it's legit. Legit. It is legit. I would say Chinatown in Toronto and Jamaican food in Toronto beats New York. Well, check this out. There's this dude who does a podcast specifically around, he travels a lot for work. He specifically chases out Chinese cuisine around the world. The best Chinese cuisine he's had around the world that's outside of China is in Richmond Hill, Ontario, just north of Toronto. Can I see his passport though? Is his passport Canadian? (laughs) (laughs) The long form or the short form? Which one? Not to get ahead of myself, but 
It's best you place your bet again. I'm not the one to bet against. You should put your bezel up, double down and level up. I'm stubborn like an ox, fit a circle in the box. Won't stop till I squeeze a drop of water out of rock. Your Pinocchio's nose is poking them locks. Not knowing it's Pandora once you open the box. Hand to your heart, is that your manner is not? Cause this manner is not right, so I left on the spot. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Roger, I want to ask you about music. You devoted your life to food and music. You wanted to be a rapper, right? Well, you know, it's funny. When I was three years old, my aunt asked me what I want to be when I grow up, and I said I want to be a chef. So it was always in my head that I wanted to be a chef because I come, I'm now third-generation food and beverage person in my family. My grandfather mm-hmm. came from China, ended up in, the, in Trinidad, and then he, after a long time, had bakeries, grocery, restaurant, and then my dad... And all my side of the family on my dad's side, to this very day, my aunt runs the biggest catering company in Trinidad. And like my whole family on that side is, is food and beverage, right? My dad had a restaurant for 20 years and now I'm I'm doing that. And now my niece is in cooking school, which is crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> in Edmonton. So, you know, we're carrying this torch. But um, you know, with the food and the music thing, it's like I started doing music and food professionally around the same time. I was about 15. I, I was uh, working in the kitchen. I started working in a kitchen, kind of like a Denny's kind of breakfast restaurant chain thing in, in Alberta. Um, and I would take all my money from that and I would go to the recording studio. And after a while, I got really good at both of them, but the music just like took off, you know, like my little group out of Edmonton. And I, then I moved to Toronto for that industry. And then I went and just headlong into music for about a decade. What's the similarities between being a chef and being in the music industry? What's the similarities? I think for me, it's it's about telling stories through the medium, right? So what I've always positioned and, and tried to do is tell stories about food. So if you come to any of my restaurants that I've ever had, it's always about fusing cultures and, and not fusion or making it confusing. And this is where the challenge is, right? Is is fusing cultures in a way that it's approachable and recognizable to the consumer. But when they taste it and eat it, there's like, oh, but that's a little different. What did they do that's a little different? I never had fried chicken quite like that before. Like, you know? And it's just the subtle little things. Maybe it's a presentation thing. Maybe it's a, 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 a marinade that's embedded. So you don't know it until you bite into it. But it's like, oh, something else is happening there, right? So for me, it's always about telling a, a story of, of, of bringing cultures together. Because if I can represent, you know, uh, several cultures on one plate, 
you you have that experience as the as the person eating it, but the person next to you is like, hey, I recognize myself in that plate. So after a few months, the word gets around, and then it's like the Korean people, the Korean person is sitting next to the Chinese person, is sitting next to the black person, is sitting next to the Polish person, enjoying this dish because they see themselves in that plate, right, and and in that meal. So that was that has always been my mission with with food, and food is just it's. Frankly, it's a tool for me to be able to tell that story. And music allows you to do that very, very same thing. You know, there are two unique mediums where I don't need to be able to even understand your language. And we can communicate. Those mediums are so, so powerful. And and th- that's the similarities for me. Those are the storytelling vessels. I, I you know, I, this is a, a kind of a unique, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the podcast, but but Chef Roger, you're the full first, and I'm a rapper. Marcus is a chef, and we've had you know guests, we've had chefs, we've had rappers, but we've never had a person that's both a chef and a rapper. And it's so it's really a unique you know you you sit on those two unique uh, uh, worlds that Marcus and I live inside of. And and I mean again, I'm not in any way a chef, but I cook a lot. You know, I, I'd say, you know, my wife has a job where she works long hours. I do most of the cooking at home. And m- my thoughts on what is so uh, satisfactory about cooking in a non-professional way, right, just at home, is that it's a uh, kind of short-form creativity, that it has... You know, from start to finish, the process isn't that long. I mean, you might cook something that takes six hours or even eight hours or 24, but like most of the cooking is one, two hours. And writing a rap verse or even doing a whole song is about, you know, it's also short form. It could be two hours. It could be 12 hours. But from from having the idea in your head to having the finished result, you know, in your speakers or on your plate, the road isn't that long. and for me, cooking gives me the, the, I mean, cooking is a way for me to both like relax, do something with my hands that at the same time is an act of love and that feeds and nourishes my daughter and my partner. But at the same time, it's like creative because even though I don't know what I'm doing, I can add my own flavors to, you know, spices or ingredients and mix it up. And that's exactly how I feel about music too. Uh, I just think it's uh, so it's interesting to speak to uh, one individual who has a leg firmly planted in both worlds. I mean, Jason, you had also, Roger, just so you know, you got to follow Jason on IG because you had a mean week this week. You were cooking like when I went through your IG, you had a really good (laughs) cooking week too. So, so, you know, it's coming in hype. It's coming in hype. Everything you see on Instagram, but you know, uh, Actually, after having this podcast for nearly a year with you, Marcus, people are actually like stepping to me like, so you're, you're, uh, we know you're hanging out with Chef Marcus. Like, so can you like, I know you better be throwing down in the kitchen because he wouldn't hang out with you if you couldn't. You know, I'm like, no, man, no. <laughs> I got the mic. He's, he's by the stove, you know. But, um, you know, it's interesting you say that because for a long time, there was nobody I could reference to be like, oh, here's a food and music person. So for a long time, I lived in the food world. I lived in the music world. I had different communities in each of those kind of worlds. And I thought I thought I was like crazy because I had to, I had to like bisect myself. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was very hard to reconcile. 
I struggled with that for years. And then one day I had an epiphany that, you know, it's just entertainment. So whether it's a, a cookbook, whether it's a restaurant, a dish, whether it's making a TV show related to whatever, whether it's making an album, a song, performing in front of a crowd, mm. it's all entertainment. So the moment yeah. I had that epiphany, yeah. it was like, these are just entertainment experiences. And it was like, shoop, and everything just exploded yeah. after that. I think about what, what Bob Marley said, you know. Uh, about music when it hits you feel no pain and in a sense you know you could say that about food too because it hits on the like you were saying you know it can awaken subconscious identity memory childhood you know uh, uh roots it just hits in a way from the stomach out where you you don't know maybe what's happening it, you're just pleased you know or you or you're feeling it and that, I think that experience, I mean, vastly different, but at the same time, uh, uh, that same like human necessity that we get from needing to hear a song that's like pleasing, comforting, uplifting, energizing that we get with food. If I eat good food, it automatically puts me in a good mood. Same thing with a good song. Well, you, you know? know, the Buddhists say that the gut is actually the brain, right? Mm. I look at it like from both perspectives. You know, when mu music mm. is a, just a vibrational force, right? So when the vibrational force it resonates through and in your body, like, like physiologically mm. resonates, and and right. your and your vibrates in, it vibrates yeah. in, and your dynamic core is your center of gravity. In in mm. Tai Chi, they say they call that area the Dantian. Right, mm -hmm. which in yoga they will call it one of the the chakras, one of the main chakras. So every culture mm -hmm. and yeah. philosophical thought centers mm -hmm. around the center of gravity area, the dantian. Right, so that's mm -hmm. the energy center. So the energy center is vibrating. So when you add music to that vibration, those vibrations move together like that, and then you have the concept of food uh, entering the gut. Right, right. And if your gut is your brain, you're feeding your brain. <laughs> right, right. So they're very, very intertwined. It's very intertwined. You are, for me, the most natural person for TV because you knew a stage before cooking. And you're, you're just like Jason, you're orally completely on a different level. You can take something and hit it back. And so that medium, when we talk about TV and cooking and entertainment, I think it's a perfect medium for you. Now, when you've been on TV for almost 10 years, now you're going into documentaries. Now you can actually start to feed us, you know, things like Black Lives Matters, things like mental health. So talk to us first about how has the conversation around Black Lives Matters, how does it feel? and live in Canada? Because you were very vocal on your Instagram, for example, all some, summer um, on both mental health issue and the black and social justice movement. Um, we know how it looks like in America. Jason and I know how it looked like and feel like in Sweden. But tell us, what was this summer like in Canada? Yeah, it's really interesting, you know. Um, it's a great, great question. Um, you know, there's there's this notion, and, and it's not an unfounded notion, that Canada is different than America when it comes to racial issues. And I will, I will say that it's not unfounded, but I will say that it is founded as well. And let me explain, right? If you look at the history of Canada, 
Uh, have you ever Googled Africville? Are you familiar with Africville? Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, you, just put your Google on Africville, okay? <laughs> and it was uh, it was a community of 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 black people that came up a lot, came up through um, the Underground Railroad through slavery, and ended up in this this portion of the East Coast. And they formed their own uh, uh, black community. Folks around the church, banks, communities, self-sustaining black community. Wow, like a Tulsa, basically. It's like it was Tulsa. Tulsa in Canada. Africville, right? Flourishing. I'm talking flourishing, my G. Okay, right? Canadian government wasn't so with it, bro. So what they started to do is they started to build landfills, garbage dumps, Etc. 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 Right. And until the the town was decimated, removed, killed, burnt. They burnt the church, which was the the first building in the community. Um, and so now, to this day, there's a monument where the church was in Africville. Right. And they're they're and you look at what. Canada has done to the indigenous community very similar to what they've done to the indigenous communities all over the world, actually. You go to Australia, you go to America, it's just devastating. Sweden. Sweden. No no different. No different. So you go to some some communities in Canada to this day, right now, today, there's a 26-year boil water advisory in communities today in Canada So imagine you're in the middle of COVID. They don't have fresh potable water. So imagine you're in COVID and the government is telling you, wash your hands, blah, blah, blah. Bro, how does this go down? It's Flint. (laughs) It's Flint, Michigan, but but worse, right? Okay. So Canada has a long history and you can go and search numerous, numerous instances and historical references that can just keep keep you diving, right? Um, Where I say that I feel that it's a little bit different is Canada does not have a, a vast infatuation with guns the way that America does. So, you know, it's one thing to be racist. It's different to be racist with poor intent and a gun, right? A lot less fatality. And then it compounds, right? And you see what happens when those people with the guns are are in positions of power. You get George Floyd, you get Philando Castile, you get just, it goes on and 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 on. <laughs> right? This is not new. We, you know, I came up in Rodney King era. You know, we looked at Rodney King when that was like people just had ca- uh, this guy had a camera on this. Wow, th- that's unusual. Now everybody got cameras, right? But <clears throat> so in that sense, it's um, unique and not unique, and different and not different. Now, how was Toronto summer? How was Canada summer? You know, I think we had to face a lot of those things. A lot of people didn't know about Africville. A lot of people didn't realize there was no running water in these communities. A lot of people didn't know that um, in Toronto, you're 20 times more likely to get shot by the police if you were black. A lot of people didn't know, like they just, they just didn't know. And because it's such a polite society, everybody just kind of goes along, oh, boom, boom, bam, boom, 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 boom. But at the end of the day, all this underlying thing is there. And so it comes rushing in very much the same way, right? And that it, that really reminds me of of Sweden in a sense, even though Sweden is probably an even smaller and even less violent. What I think I'm hearing you speak about in Canada is just that a lot of people haven't s- sat with the thought that, wow, structural racism and institutional racism and you know the broader spectrum of 
racist structures exists here in this country too. Because I think, you know, Sweden as in, Sweden likes to compare itself to Canada a lot, being that we are, you know, self-identified, well-intended, peace-loving nations that, that uh, diplomatically negotiate peace between other warring nations and that we're kind-hearted at, at center. So within like the Swedish national identity, racism doesn't really... Uh, it's not a part of how we see ourselves here. And I think this summer really was a painful kind of uh, a revelation to a lot of people that no way it does. And this is how Afro-Swedes feel about it. And this is how non-European, non-white people in Sweden feel. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
about it. Every day I walk around with a certain level of post-traumatic stress disorder that I have to maneuver the world with, right? And I've taken this very seriously. I've researched the definitions of post-traumatic stress disorder. I've spoken to doctors who specialize in this thing, who deal with police officers, uh, veterans returning from war, and a lot of black people, just for being black people. I think you just learn to live with it and cope with it. But, you know, in recent years, I think people have started to respect mental health on on an equal basis with physical health. Tell us, Chef Roger, a bit about your work and your interest in mental, talking about mental health and mental health issues. Man, you know, I have a long family history, both sides of my family, of just horrible mental health issues. Like long, mm-hmm. long standing trajectory. So I've been very mindful and, you know, and I, I really believe that my purpose here is to, to help people. I've been helping people. My whole life, it's it's no surprise to me. I mean, it's 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 somewhat of a challenge in the in the black community. It's maybe now becoming a new thing where we talk and embrace that a little bit, and we say, look, it's okay to do X and Y and go do Y to try and get yourself better. But that's a new idea in our communities, right? And so, if I'm able to to be a face in, to that, I'm happy to do that to try and help another person. That that is my purpose. End of 1993, uh, I found out that my stepfather, we all found out that my stepfather had lung cancer. And the doctor had told him he had four, uh, maximum of four years to live, but within six months he had died. That, uh, I was 19 year, years old, it uh, devastated uh, my family. And I, uh, at the same time, was at a very kind of, I guess in a tender state of building my identity at that point. And uh, I realized after a while that I think I'm in a depression. I think this is what depression is and feels like. And then I realized that, but I felt like this before. Mm. And I remembered when I was nine years old and I remembered the summer of 1984. I remember how I was, how I was feeling, how I reacted. And I was like, Oh shit. So, so this is what that word, not just means, but feels like. And then it happened again later in life and I fell even deeper. You know, I, I seriously didn't think I was going to pull through that one. And after I bottomed out there about the mid, um, it's about 2004, 2005, uh, it has come back, but not as deep. And I'm so grateful for <laughs> having lived through those rough patches in my life because then 2020 happened and in april i found myself you know i could i could tell all the signs you know Mm. i was grieving for what the pandemic had caused uh, the 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 loss in emotional investment in projects that wasn't going to happen and me you know questioning myself and the anxiety and the uncertainty of what was laying ahead and who was i and what was laying ahead and my family and everything uh and i think just having lived through it before i managed to not really slip deep down into darkness at all but basically know how to take care of myself to to stave it I'm saying all that to say that it worries me 
that the 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 residual effect of this pandemic is going to be you know and on a global scale i'm sure massive mental health issues massive and you know this is the thing you know fortunately for you and like marcus you have discovered art you've discovered a vessel to kind of release some of that be vulnerable with that to sit and live with that ponder it work on it hone it and then release into it, right? So you not only stew in it, but you get to consume it and then expel it. You making yeah, stew. Yeah. You making Dora Watt, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Jason, I want to ask you, uh, what tools people are struggling with mental health all over the world during COVID, post-COVID? Is there like a recipe when you, when you feel this coming, right? Mm. You sense it. Mm. Are there mm. things that you can block? Is there something in your food? Is there actions in your day-to-day that you're doing or not mm. doing? Like what That's a good tools question. Yeah. can you give out there? I, I, I notice it oncoming because it affects two very basic things, sleep and food. I, when I have trouble falling asleep, but also trouble getting up out of bed. Uh, and then when I, when I stop eating or stop feeling the need to eat, that's my body telling me before my mind is even conscious about it that, you know, I'm heading in a direction. My best tools for it is writing and running. Running, uh, I think just it just tires me physically and I'm sure releases, you know, adrenaline, serotonin. It planes me out in a sense that I thought that, you know, when I was a kid that only, you know, smoking marijuana could could take the edge off it. And then writing, just like, like Chef Roger was saying, like digging into uh, a stewing it, you know, writing about what I'm feeling or writing about something totally different, but just writing down and releasing some emotions on, on paper, but you know, on my, on my computer screen or on my phone. Now I have a, you know, a two year, a two and a half year old daughter, just being who she is and being with her also, it's like a, a antidepressant in human form. And Roger, how do you do it? How do you deal with like, you see this it's coming or, you know, knowing that you have it in the family, like, how do you deal? I have art, man. I have art. I create art, food, music, and I'm a believer and a practicer that meditation is the single most powerful tool for human self-management available to every human on earth. You know, it's interesting you mentioned running and writing. And Marcus, for you, cooking, right? There's there's meditation where people think like, oh, you're lying down on a yoga mat and you meditate, or your legs are crossed and you're burning incense. And, you know, there are many methods of meditation like that. But a lot of people meditate, they don't realize it. So I used to study Tai Chi and, and do with this monk for like five years, right? And we used to do hours and hours of just stoic, still meditation, standing meditation, standing in one spot for an hour in a, in a specific position. And you're dripping sweat, but you're standing still for an hour and your body is just healing, right? Okay, so there's that. But a lot of people do meditation, they don't realize. So when you're running, right, <clears throat> tell me what it's like. You go through a first phase where you're like, you warm up the body. And then uh-huh. you get into a second phase where you're like, okay, I'm starting to feel limber now and I'm getting a rhythm and my breathing. Uh-huh. And then uh-huh. you, if you're running long enough distances, you enter this middle period where your uh-huh. mind almost disappears and you're just moving through space. 
There are moving meditations. Running is a moving meditation. Painting is a moving. So meditation is only any pointed, focused activity. So you could do pointed, focused inactivity and be prone, right? Or you can do pointed, focused activity where you're so focused that the activity disappears and you just do. So if you are Zora Neale Thurston, she just writing. The words just are happening. She just happens to be there controlling the pen or moving the pen, <laughs> right? Or, or you're writing a, a rap. It's like, I've been in the state. The song just happens. You don't even know how it just happens. Or you're cooking, Marcus, and you're in just a zone with it. You're not thinking about the next step, but you're automatically doing the next 10 steps. So we have many ways to heal. I feel very fortunate that I've found a combination of stoic prone meditation, moving meditations through food and music. So I, one day I looked at the board as I looked and I know they got properties in like, you know, the Bahamas, like a lot of black people in the Caribbean, like, you know, look at Jamaica, no, 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 not one, not one single person looked like me, right? So I was like, wow, my uh, opportunities here probably are not very great, but let me ask. So I went to the executive chef's office. I go, chef, you know, I can't help but notice that like, <clears throat> All the people on this board outside the lunchroom, and there's, you know, places in the Caribbean that are like predominantly black people. <clears throat> Not one person on that board looks like me. You know what he said to me? And I, I think about it to this day as an employer, and it still shocks me. And this is 100% facts, okay? He says, it just doesn't seem like y'all are that interested. Your documentary series that you are putting out now why now? What do you talk about? Because I feel like it, there's a lot of, we know you as a very positive, fun, super exciting guy that, you know, cooks outside and are the most vibrant person in, in cooking. But here you slow everything down and you talk a lot about your upbringing and you're dealing with mental health, racism. So you ask questions about yourself, but also the, as an audience, it forces you to think. What made you put this piece out and why not, Roger? This whole thing, you know, it was a very interesting kind of the perfect storm sort of came together. The city was facing racial reckoning. There was COVID, all these things happening. Our current mayor in Toronto, I like to believe he's a very forward-thinking, progressive sort of individual who embraces the notion of diversity because he's operating in a city that's diverse and has those uh, uh, unusual um, conundrums to deal with that, or as well as the, the positive that comes from that as well, right? So, <clears throat> you know, they allocated a lot of money in this last year to really tell those stories because the fact of the matter was this, over time, we haven't been in control of our stories. You know, you look at the books of history that everybody's been taught over the years, it's like this very pointed focus and perspective in the, in the way those stories are, are told to kind of systemize power, right? So with that, <clears throat> we went to the city and I was just kicking it with a friend of mine who worked at the city. And I said, you know, this is, this is you know, all the stuff that's happened in America and the the protests and all this stuff and Trump crazy and all this stuff was happening. 
And she's like, you know, I want to hear more about what your time has been like traveling through America. So I just started telling her stories. And she's like, wow, these stories are crazy. Yo, people need to hear this. So we kind of formulated this plan of telling the stories. And I said, this is cool. But if we're going to do this and the city is going to help us resource this, we have to control the storytelling, the formulation and the execution of the storytelling. I have to have sign off on the final because yeah, I don't want to get it quagmired in the city politics and blah, blah, blah. And then it gets watered down because we've done that for centuries. We don't need another version of that. Right. So she like, yeah, cool. Done. End of story. She took it up the chain. Everybody got excited. It started to expand into this much bigger program that we see now. And we've allocated three years of programming around doing this thing. Three years of programming. And for me, one of the main pieces of this whole thing was we're going to be putting this in museums, on on the sides of buildings, like really interesting thing. But then COVID hit really bad and it locked down all the museums and all that stuff, right? Another component to this that was critical for me was this is going to enter curriculum. That That's a fulcrum for me in doing this whole thing because it's for one thing for me to be speaking to me and you as adults so we can understand and kind of position this in our minds because we've lived this for so long and understanding this but it's a much different thing to say, yo, 13-year-old kid, you're going through this, but I went through this too. And then the other generation went through this too. And the other generation went through this too. Let's position it from a perspective that you can relate to, that you can understand, and that is written and signed off from our perspective. Uh, you know, if we have listeners all over the world, especially also in Scandinavia, how can we? Is there a website that we can go and get snippets of this? Are you going to put it on YouTube? How can non-Canadians capture Toronto this History Museums? Toronto History Museums has it on their YouTube page. The City of Toronto has it up on their website under the the Toronto History Museums section. If you go to any of my plat my website, all of my Instagrams, just find the Awakening stuff. It's yep. all there, and it'll all lead you to the next stuff. Right now, we're setting up a whole thing about COVID. We're Talking to like, it's, it's crazy it's kind of stuff. Yeah. There's yeah. politicians are coming on board now who want to talk about their experiences as being people of color that I'm going to be talking to. Um, the Asian community, like nice. I'm going hard at all of this because I can't just fight. Look, mm. look, I can't fight mm. for me in good conscience if I can't fight for the next person. Right. You feel? So my mm. whole thing is. Expand. I'm a humanist. I'm a humanitarian, my brother. <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. So mm. I, I can't in good conscience just fight for one. Individualism, mm. I say all the individualism is the scourge of our society. We have to be Ubuntu. Mm. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. We talk a lot about yeah. Ubuntu, Jason, Marcus and I. I. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful project. Shoulder way too but heavy, I'm working a lift. Feels impossible, another obstacle. I don't fold, not good at doing what I'm told. Skull thick, skull cap won't fit. True confessional, my preacher's pulpit. My shoes got no treads, holes in them socks. And watch too much to not work round them clocks. Hungry like wolves and through the rands. Then bite the hand, turn a blind eye if the preacher can. I do. I try to live a peaceful life, but come to me would be folly to me. Don't only leave you right. I just want to switch up and ask you, what are you listening to these days? What's on, you know, what's on your playlist? What are you bumping, you know, other than what your kids are listening to? Or is it the same stuff or, you know? Uh, I found recently this artist called Pip Millet. 
Pip Millet, I think her name is. Ondara, are you familiar with Ondara? The album is called Tales of America. You know, every time uh, J. Cole about yeah. to drop something, I'll be there. <laughs> Kendrick's teasing us. Dre's teasing us. You know, like, I'm really enamored with this weekend performance from the Super Bowl. Big, there we go, Canada Aye. again in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> Ethiopia. <laughs> Ethiopia. <laughs> Ethiopia is claiming, they're claiming the weekend hard. hard. And rightfully they should, hard. you know, hard. He's natu- <laughs> national hero. Put on a fantastic show, not just performance, a show, storytelling, art. Craftsmanship. Are you, are you writing bars yourself? Are you spitting bars these days? Does it happen? You know, is MC Mystic still alive? You Good know? job, Jason. I was going there. I was like, I was like, I'm like can, we, can we get yeah, it? Yeah, can Get Can we it? get a little mystic? Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. I'm always writing. I can't tell you how many times I get up three in the morning, jump up because the song is in my head and I have wow. to document it, man. It's a gift. So I have to honor the gift, right? After Vince Carter dropped down in, in Toronto, everything, and then eventually them winning the NBA, uh, you know, championship. Mm, mm. And then, of course, with, <laughs> with Drake and everything and The weekend and Rogers. So mm. it's like, book, 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 book. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, we salute you. We thank you. We want yes. everybody to go, go and check out Awakening. Thank you. Thank you for having me, y'all. I really, really appreciate this, man. You know, to just to, to be kicking it with y'all, man. It's all love. Thank you, Roger, so much for providing the tunes from his latest album, Eat Your Words. Check out Awakenings on Toronto History Museum's YouTube channel. Every first Monday in March, it's Black Mental Health Day in Toronto, so be on the lookout for more special projects from Roger on that. And guys, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at This Moment Podcast. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.